Thank you, worship team, for reminding us of that all-important truth to look to him. And we're going to be in a psalm today. It's the very next psalm. Last week we were in chapter 19. Today we're going to be in 20. And it starts out, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And what's kind of interesting about that first line is there's not a lot of commentary, research, historical context. We got a few ideas on how this psalm was written. And it is a prayer and petition for the king, the king of Israel, that probably happened on the eve of a great battle. But let's expand that at the beginning today just a little bit. What comes to your mind when you hear or you read the day of trouble? We uh, are very fortunate and blessed in this country for number of years not to experience all-out war. We do have military that serves in different places, but it feels like it's been forever since there's been war on our home front. We're not experiencing things that are going on in Ukraine and Israel right now. If we talk to a brother or sister in Christ in Israel or Ukraine, and they read, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble, their definition, their felt reality and existence would look a little different than ours. For people who did not have the blessing of heat last night, their day of trouble would look a little bit different than if your furnace is working. That For those who go to sleep at night beside a spouse, their day of trouble looks a little different than one whose spouse left them or one whose spouse passed away. That there is this loneliness and this heartache and this difficulty and this pain that we experience sometimes in days of trouble. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So pain, C.S. Lewis said one time, which by the way, starting at nine o'clock, I think it's next week, there's going to be uh, the nine to 10 o'clock adult Bible class that Dan Nickel and Ben Mitem do is on C.S. Lewis. It's one of my heroes. Uh, I don't know how often I'll get to attend the class, but there's the plug. But C.S. Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone. Pain is not fun. It's not a good experience, but by golly, it gets our attention. And just in case you wondered, it's like, oh yeah, well, I I can handle pain. Stub your toe without a shoe on. And you will realize that nine times out of 10, or maybe 99 times out of 100, pain is going to win. 
in the midst of just the difficulty of experiencing things that just hurt. And when we are hurting, there's a number of places that we can go. There are ways that we can dull the pain, we can self-medicate. In this day of trouble, there's this famous expression that is very true, that tends to be often the default, fight or flight. And last night I played with that, and then being a pastor, I'm like, I wonder if I can come up with some other words that start with F to add to that list. I came up with another one, freeze. You can fight, you can flight, or you can just freeze. So I don't know what your day of trouble looks like. And hopefully, you've not had a serious day of trouble in a while, but Jesus does say, guess what? Those days are going to come. And when those days come, Fight, flight, freeze. Check it out. I have a fourth one. Fix. And the moment that I wrote down the word fix, I was reminded of Hebrews 12, 2, where the author encourages us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who ran the race perfectly and was victorious. Thank you, because I don't have it there. Okay, so check it out. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For your struggle against sin, or in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In the day of trouble, we have days of trouble. But Jesus saw our days of trouble and left heaven to come down to earth to say, I'll do what you can. And now that he has come down to do what we can't, that he lived perfectly, he died in our place, he rose from the dead, and now he reigns from on high in heaven. That's the verse we just, or the psalm we just sang. God, I look to you. And I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things the way you do. But, Honest transparency here, guys. When I experience even surfacey, shallow days of trouble or moments of inconvenience where I've mapped out my plan for the day and somebody could even just be a slow driver on the road, throws a monkey wrench in it, my initial response is not to fix my eyes on Jesus. It's often fight or flight, or freeze. This psalm wants to deliver us 
from those unfruitful responses so that we will fix our eyes on Jesus. Psalm 20, here we go. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Father, we pray that now in these moments that you would take your word and your spirit may send it directly into our minds and our hearts, that it would dig deep into our souls, that it would be just a a deep reserve of peace and strength and hope and love and joy. And that when those days of trouble come our way, that we would fix our eyes on your son, our savior, our Lord, and our king. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, an opportunity to just kind of handpick a few psalms in January, and I wanna share a little bit about why this one was chosen. Uh, And then the more that I got into it, the more I went, okay, there's a lot happening here I didn't realize was happening. I love verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Because what happens is the way that you and I live will determine what we trust in. And it will really be exposed in a day of trouble. Okay, when everything is going well, we may not feel the pressure. We may say, okay, God, you're good. There's, there's even in the sports world, if you really want to learn about someone's sportsmanship, you don't really pay attention to how they win. Now, it's true. People can win in a very arrogant way. But you pay more attention to how they lose. What does it look like whenever things are not going the way that it's supposed to? What do they cling to? What do they grasp onto? What control, even though control in itself is a bit of a slippery slope of something that actually we have very little control over? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
Guys, we all trusted in car batteries this morning in negative below zero temperature, and not all of us maybe, but most of us. And some, I heard from one report today, one, it didn't work out. And it may not have been a battery, but the car didn't get from point A to point B. Fight, flight, freeze, or fix your eyes on Jesus. What's the first thing uh, that we're called to do? If you look at verse 1, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. You know what prefaces this answer? First of all, you have to make the call. First of all, you have to, to call out. And, and people are stubborn in this way too, right? Think about um, the stereotype is that guys are worse than girls about this. That might be true. Asking for directions. And you know what? Directions or asking for directions got easier with Apple Maps and Google Maps. But you know what? Sometimes we may still think that we know better than Apple Maps and Google Maps on how to get from point A to point B. Or you get lost or you don't know the way. How quickly are you willing to call and say, I need help. I can't do this. This wasn't going to get in the sermon because I'm embarrassed by this story, but it's gonna work, so it'll get in there. You know how you're not supposed to have garden hoses on faucets in temperatures like this? Well, guess what? I realized on Friday it's gonna get really, really cold, and I have two hoses, one in the front yard, one in the backyard. Front yard, got it off, piece of cake, 30 seconds. Backyard? I guess it's copper faucet connected to aluminum screwed thing on, and I don't remember the last time it was. I took that off. I am doing absolutely everything I can to get this thing off with you know, pliers and brute force and almost broke all this stuff, and it's just getting more and more frustrating, and I'm like, I can't do it. I don't want bad things to happen. I'm going to need help. And there's a guy that's part of our church that most of us know is excellent at like having a variety of different ways to fix things. And you guys are probably all looking like, seriously, Stephen, you couldn't get this off. And yeah, I, I couldn't. Eventually, I, I send Mike Varner a text. I say, hey, crazy thing, but uh, this happened. You know what the other funny thing is? Initially, it was, you know, righty tidy, lefty loosey. I was like, well, hold on, maybe I, I think I went the wrong direction for a little while, and that made it even harder to be able to actually unscrew. Got to a certain point, he's like, hey, try this, try this, try this. Tried some of those things, didn't work. Now, he did have a torch that I did not have, but eventually he came and saved the day in a minute or two. But guys, you know what I had to do? I had to swallow my pride, and I had to make a call and say, I need some help. You know what I knew, though, about Mike Varner? I've walked with him enough and know enough of his character to know that if somebody's in trouble, he's going to do with what's in his power to help. You know what we should know about the Lord our God? That in his character... 
he will do what it takes to help us. But he is waiting for us to make that call. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. What's crazy is this is a congregation of people. This is a community of people actually asking that their king, that their leader would have a posture like this. It seems as though David wrote the psalm, but David was the king of Israel when he wrote this. So here's the king, the leader, the one who has more resources at his disposal than anyone else in all of Israel at that time saying, I need to be this kind of leader. I need my character to be like this. And I am prone to forget and left to myself, apart from God's people praying for me, I will forget. So I'm gonna pin these words, but oh God, I need people praying if I have any chance or any hope, okay? So then I go, okay, well, you are a leader in certain contexts. Every single person in this space and on live stream is a leader in a certain context. Other people watch you. If you wonder if other people watch you or not, and you're blessed with kids, listen closely to your kids. They pick up on what you want them to pick up on. They also pick up on what you don't want them (laughs) to pick up on. You are leading them in your life by the example that you set. For good, for bad. And guys, for us, it's a mix of both, right? But what if our heart's posture was in the areas where God has given me leadership influence. I need to ask the Lord for help in the day of trouble. And I will go to him. And I will go to people who will remind me of my need to go to him. Um. I don't know that this completely translates over, but I feel like I'm supposed to say this and I've been feeling like, no, no, God, that'll be later, that'll be later. Um, But in the midst of of our country right now, um, this is an election year, right? And there's a variety of different opinions. There's a lot of polarization. There's a lot of division. And I'm not going to get political, but I am going to get biblical about Psalm 20. As Christians in a country, we need to pray that our leaders have this posture, regardless of who that leader is. And I'm not saying right or left or middle. I do kind of wonder, does middle even exist anymore? But I will say this, we need to be those who pray that God blesses us with men and women that seek him. 
And what happens is it doesn't necessarily mean that America becomes this super Christian nation, so to speak, because the truth is that will preach in every single country in the world. If I, whatever country I was in, I would be saying, Christians, in whatever country you are, you need to pray that there will be leaders that will emerge in communities and cities and countries that will lead, that will say, I know I need the Lord to answer me. I know that the Lord has actually given me this position of authority, and one day I will answer to him for how I lead, and I need God. I need his wisdom. I need his direction. I am not the end-all, be-all. I have a kin I'm called to follow. Will we call on him in the day of trouble? Guess what happens? If you're fixing your eyes on him, you will call on him in the day of trouble. We all know people that are a little bit larger than life in our lives. I got to swim on a college swim team and we had one guy that was my age. His name was John Barry and he apparently was like this winner of everything in high school. And I met him and it's like, okay, you know, he's a nice guy, but I don't really see anything special. And then he dove into the pool and swam a 50 yard sprint. And my jaw was on the ground for days after watching him in one sprint. This guy was superstar fast. And what was fun was he always was the anchor of our relay teams. And the first three guys, they kind of held their own, but we were never leading with leg one, leg two, and leg three. And lots of other teams that didn't know yet about John Barry's reputation as an anchor were super pumped and super excited. I didn't even make the relay teams all the time. I was at the end cheering for these four guys that were the fastest. And we'd elbow each other, teammates. They go, they don't know. They don't know what we know. We know who our anchor is. And that guy can catch nearly everybody. And we fixed our eyes on him. And man, nine out of 10 times, he caught people and we won those races. When the king is heroic, when he's powerful, when he's mighty, and then you call on him and you look for an answer to him. What's David say? May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. He is gonna command his angels concerning his people when we call on him for help. And he says, may the name of the God of Jacob. Guys, I know John Barry's name. I still have contact with him. He knows my name. Because the truth is, we, we could fill in the superstar, okay? Uh, you know, I, I've maybe overused this, but it works, okay? Uh, whether your superstar is Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift, and I will say one is better known than the other. 
You may know that name, but chances are neither Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift know your name. They don't know who you are. John Barry, who actually made it all the way to Olympic trials after his college career was over, he knows this guy. And if I called him and asked him questions back when I was a swim team coach, and I did sometimes, about how to help a certain swimmer, he's going to pick up the phone. Because he knows me. Guys, Jesus removed the veil after he died on the cross and gives us access. And then Jesus says, my sheep know me, they know my voice, and I know them, and I know their name. And when they call me, I will pick up the phone. I will respond to them. It's often our stubbornness, our pride, our pain, our hurt, our disappointment, those things hinder us from calling on him. I love verse three. It says, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Um, I think that what we do in secret with God probably matters than what more than what we do in public for God. That there is these moments that God calls us to meet him in that secret place And it could be just as simple as putting on a worship song and kneeling down. It could be raising your hands where no one else is watching. And guys, by the way, it also matters when you're in the company of others to do that too. But let the overflow of what you do in secret, let let what you do in public just be the overflow of what you've done in secret. But there is this default that I have sometimes in my interaction with God. And it sounds something like this. God, I thought you were going to do this and this and this for me. Because after all, I did this and this and this for you. And you may sometimes wonder when you have your prayer time, when you have your Bible reading time, when you have your private worship time. You're like, God, do you see And the prayer is, may he remember all your offerings and burnt sacrifices. He sees. He hears. He sees your pursuit of him. And James 4, 8 gives us this promise, come near to God and he will come near to you. Number one. Number two, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. But if we're seeking him, he's wanting to say, hey, he sees and he remembers. Now, goes from there to verse four. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Um, there was a song, it was like a commercial when I was growing up that went something like, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz because my friends all drive Porsches and uh, fill in the blank of all this stuff. 
And there is a, a Ron teaching out there that says that God is kind of like this genie in a bottle. And if you rub the lamp the right way and do the right incantation and do the right things, then God is obligated to give you three wishes of your heart's desire. And that is just simply not how it works because God is good and you and I I hate to break it to you, but you and I were not. So in our natural, rebellious, default state, we're going to ask for the wrong kind of stuff. Or we're going to maybe ask for the right stuff, but we'll ask for the right stuff at the wrong time. So God is a good, loving father, says, ask me. But know at the end of the day that I care more about what I'm doing in you than what I may give you out there. Had a seminary professor that constantly said that it is okay when God says no sometimes. Because God cares a whole lot more about your character than your career. And that there are these things, these enticements that God can give us sometimes that we will long for, that we will want. But the prayer is, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. This is God's people praying that the king may have all of his desires granted and all of his plans fulfilled. Well, if it's an earthly king, it needs to be checked by the true king. But if it is the heavenly king of kings, Jesus, then we want all of his desires granted and all of his plans fulfilled. Because what's the king Jesus, what's king Jesus do for us? He comes not to steal, kill, or destroy but to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. He comes to seek and save those who are lost. He's willing to go after us when we stray and will search for us until he finds us and brings us back home. Jesus' desire is for you to be in deep communion and connection with him and with other people and to fix your eyes on him and to fill you with his spirit so it'll overflow and touch everybody else around you. This is another way of saying for the king, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That you want the kingdom to be ushered in and you want the king to be the one who ushers that in. Well, let me tell you one other thing that transforms things in my life. Um, and, and you can pray for me and pray for our staff. Uh, this novel idea that a lot of you look and go, you probably always should have been doing that. And yeah, we probably should have always been doing that. But um, Tuesday from 10 to 10.30, we're having staff prayer together. And last Tuesday, we met up here in chairs and it wasn't anything really special except it was really cool because the final song was, God, I look to you. And then we sang that right before the sermon today. That was cool. I say it isn't really something special except 
Can I tell you that the trajectory of praying with staff that were able to make that time happen changed the entire trajectory of my desires for the rest of that day? That you and I are always as people going to have desires. God made us that way. And there's nothing wrong with having deep desires. But some of our desires are in alignment with God and some of them are not. And you know what I discovered one time about a car? That if you get that out of alignment, you know what happens? It makes a lot of noise and then the, the tires, you gotta replace a lot more often and there's probably other things that could be damaged when a car's out of alignment. And that's just a car. What happens if a human being's heart is out of alignment? So going to God and offering him yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And and Paul says in Romans 12, this is your spiritual act of worship, is offering yourself to him. When you offer yourself to him, He puts your desires in alignment with his desires. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what happens when I delight in God? My desires become his desires. Okay, Um, one other quick sports analogy here. I'm in the nosebleed section of St. Louis Cardinals baseball game a few years back. Um, I think Benny was with me. And I'm seeing this dad teach this three-year-old what it means to live in Cardinal Nation and to be a Cardinals fan. And what's impressive is this three-year-old knows every single player and is pointing to them from the nosebleeds, all this stuff. And then there's all kinds of cheer and excitement And because he's three by the third inning, dude is all out of energy and they left the game early. But that did not discourage me in the least. And here's why. Because his dad's teaching him to delight in the team that probably his dad taught him to delight in. And then his dad taught him. And generation to generation, it goes back. Guys, I saw discipleship happen at Bush Stadium, but they were fixing their eyes on a feeble baseball team that has good and bad and wins and losses. Guys, delighting in the Lord, delighting in King Jesus. You're delighting in someone who never loses. And that when he tells you wait, or he tells you no, or he tells you not yet, you can still say, God, I really wish this would be now, but I trust you. And I still fix my eyes on you because I know you know what is best for me and my family. What happens when he grants your heart's desire and fulfills all your plans? Look at verse five. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up 
our banners. Guys, this is, um, I mean, this is the crazy commitment of people that showed up at Arrowhead Stadium last night and a start time at kickoff of negative four degrees. And some crazy people they showed on the TV that were shirtless, screaming at the top of their lungs, let's go Chiefs. I go, that dude's crazy. But he loves his team. And there's no doubt about that. Now, I understand that everybody does worship the Lord differently in regards to the way we express. But sometimes, joy is supposed to overtake us, okay? That there are little children that in the, heat, the, the excitement of the moment and the thrill and the success, like that just happens. You think about a rock concert or a sporting event, there are moments where you just can't contain the excitement and the joy and the cheer. And this, this, these people here are saying, for the king ordained by God, and more specifically for Jesus, it is wrong if you never shout for the joy of your salvation okay and and I know and sometimes I'm this way I'm like I know I'm not shouting on the outside but inside I'm really shouting and good keep shouting on the inside because eventually it's going to come out the outside too that there is this excitement in this and you raise your banners also leads to verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. The prayer became an experienced reality. The king has been delivered. And because the king has been delivered, the people have been delivered. And there's confidence that the answer will come and saving and deliverance will happen. And then the verse seven You can trust in a lot of different things. And they say, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Verse 8 explains what happens to those who trust in chariots and horses. They collapse and fall. Guys, chariots and horses and all the things those represent eventually crash and burn. Jesus said in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. We rise and we stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So I'm gonna invite the worship team up and uh, There's a few different things that I want to encourage you to reflect on as kind of an opportunity for response today. Um, The first one is you may be experiencing a significant day of trouble right now. And, And I will say that the fact that you are here in this space already is evidence that you have moved in the right direction. But There is knowing that you have a problem, even if it's something simple like a hose that won't come off a faucet, 
And then there is actually trying to do something about the problem. And trying to do something about the problem, you may come to the conclusion that you can't fix the problem. And you need to call on someone for help. Jesus is the one that you call on. You you could fight with that thing, that hose. I'm speaking metaphorically. You could flee that hose, which could lead to bigger problems. You could freeze. Or you could say, Jesus, I want to fix my eyes on you. And I'm going to ask you to answer me from your holy hill and to bring the resources that I need in this moment. That's for you personally. The other thing, guys, is we all know people who have not called on the king. We know people who are struggling. We know people who are far away. We know people who are wayward. And just like David wrote this psalm so that people would pray for him as he exercised his kingly leadership, what would it look like if in these moments you say, I'm going to pray for those that I know, that I love and care about, that they would fix their eyes on King Jesus, that they would have courage to call on him and that he would answer them from his holy hell. And whatever that looks like in your family, your friends, your neighbors, people in our community that have leadership positions, people in our country that have leadership positions, people in the world, what would it look like if we adopt this psalm And say, I'm going to pray these petitions for myself. I'm going to ask other people to pray it for me. And I'm going to pray it for the people in my life. Because here's the cool thing. Every victory is his. And he, Ben said it well. He's read the end of the book. And King Jesus wins. So this, this altar, this, uh, this space up here is available if you want to come, if you want to kneel, if you want to pray, if you want to ask God just for wisdom and courage to call on him. Uh, and then we know each other, some better than others around here, but if the Spirit moves you to pray with someone, to give somebody a hug, to give someone a word of encouragement, we want there to be freedom and time dedicated to that space and that purpose. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you're faithful all the time and that you're king and that you win. Help us, God, not to place our trust in chariots and horses, but to place our trust in you. And help us when days of trouble come to know to call on you and that you answer us. May you answer the people that are close to us. May you answer the people in our community and our country. And may people in the world call on your son, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I'm fighting a battle
No matter. 
trouble get a little easier to walk through when we know who's won at the end. And uh, as we prepare for the benediction, I just want to remind you of one quick story that shows up in 2 Kings chapter 6. And Elisha and his servant are standing there and there's this impending army that comes. And the servant looks at Elisha and he panics and he's stressed and he's worried. And Elisha looks and says, it's okay. There are more with us than are against us. And the servant looks and goes, uh, no. And uh, Elisha says, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opens his eyes, and there are legions upon legions of angels protecting Elisha and the servant. So one of these prayer points of Psalm chapter 20 is that when, we an, when, we an, when he answers us, when we ask him for help, that one thing he does is just open our eyes so that we see his protection and his will and his plan and his purpose and in his victory. Let's receive this benediction. And now, God, to you, the one who is with us, who is for us, and who is in us, may your son, Jesus, fill us with your spirit so that the world would know there is a king. Help us, God, to fix our eyes on the king, your son, our savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God be with you as you go. God bless you.